Hello and good day, wonderful podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you as always. We've got an absolutely phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Ron Carucci back on and we are talking about his new book and work, To Be Honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and purpose. We talk about the four conditions of trust, the power of transparency, the importance of community, what neuroscience tells us about the brain, about honesty, um, a powerful gang rival story, moving toward a bigger story, the two fundamental questions people need to ask in turning me into we. This is an exceptional episode. I know that you're going to enjoy it. And if you do, please share it far and wide. Consider leaving a review on iTunes. Consider becoming a member and supporting the show. You can join the membership for uh, exclusive content from past guests for free or by donation. That's up to you. And if you want it for free, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. If you want to check out some of my work, you can check out the Soul Compass course, which is helping you design design your life, getting crystal clear on who you are from your heart, from your soul, from your authentic self, and then using all the best peak performance, spirituality, esoteric tools to build and design that life. And if you want some support, you can do also one-on-one coaching or anything else if I can support you. There's also the Zen Athlete Program and the Quantum Heart Hypnosis. So a lot of tools out there for you guys uh, if you want to check them out over at mattbelair.com. But let's just dive in. As, As always, I almost forgot to tell you that the best way to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world that's definitely the best way to support this program um, because it's taking all these lessons and all of these tools and putting it into action in the real world and that's the most important thing so let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive in wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly filling every cell muscle and fiber of your being with joy peace compassion courage faith and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with ron Karuchi. Hello and welcome to the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. If you want to support this show, please go over to mattbelair.com where all the episodes are backed up. You can get free and exclusive content over there, or you can contribute by donation. But the most important and best way to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is the best-selling author of eight books and popular contributor at Harvard Business Review and Forbes. His newest book and passion, to be honest, Lead with the Power of Truth, Justice, and Purpose, is based on 15 years of research with more than 3,200 interviews with leaders around the world. Welcome back to the show, Ron Carucci. Matt Bellera, it's great to be with you again. Thanks for having me. I forgot to ask you, did I pronounce your name right? It's one, is it, it, it wow, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I had that thing, I, I, some, I usually tell this to the guests before, I, I ask them, and then if I don't ask you the whole time I'm reading the bio, I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce it, so I have to kind of guess. So it's great to have you back on the show. A lot's happened since our last uh, episode together, but you've written a really timely and amazing book. So I'd love for you to just you know update the audience, tell them a little bit about who you are and the work you do, and let's dive into this new book you've written. Yeah. Well, I'm the co-founder and managing partner at a firm called Navalent, and we spend our days working alongside very ambitious and senior executives of large organizations and even some mid-sized organizations around the world, Um, people who are leading parts of those enterprises or people who are leading parts of countries. And we help them through pretty messy journeys of transformation. We help them construct a path out of a ditch or away from a ditch or toward a great opportunity that they're trying to transform their organization towards. And it's a 
it's an incredibly privileged way to spend my life every day. Um, greetings from the Minneapolis airport where I'm, you know, transitioning from one city to another to do that work. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm writing. Um, I write mostly to learn when, you know, the leaders that come to us for help have questions that I'm not sure I really have good answers for. I, that's how I go and learn. Uh, and um, years ago, um, we have a phenomenal research database that we, we have that we can examine for a lot of, you know, a lot of insights. This particular time around, we, we use a pretty cool set of AI technology to, to mine the data for uh, rich insights. And this time we decided to, rather than go and tell the AI what we're looking for, we thought, well, if it's so intelligent, let it, should, let it tell us what we should be asking it. And we set all the data in. Um, and when, when 3,200 interviews came back with some really interesting drill sites around the notion of integrity and honesty and truth telling, um, we thought, well, that's compelling. Let's go find out what that's gonna tell us. Because I thought, well, if we could predict the conditions under which people would tell the truth and behave fairly and serve a greater good, and under the and what conditions would they lie, cheat, and serve their own interests first? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be powerful? And I, you don't have to look too far after the last two years, Matt. To, you know, we're in a trust recession right now. It's hard to earn and keep the trust of others, and we take that for granted too much. Um, and it's hard to give your trust to to if you look around there, and it's not hard to see why. Um, and so when, when the data came back with some very compelling evidence that, in fact, there are conditions hiding in plain sight that turn really good-hearted, honest people into cheats um, and how to prevent that, uh, I decided I wanted to write the book. That was not how we set out to do it. But when I, when I saw what the data was telling us, it was too compelling not to write it. Wow. Well, that's a very fascinating origin story. I didn't expect uh, the AI to spit that out and, and kind of steered in this direction. Um, it's a very timely book because I, I think that you're right. There's a lot of dishonesty out there. They talk about uh, misinformation. And when you look at social media and news or even trying to find the truth, um, I feel like the most important thing is integrity. And, you know, when you're able to have integrity and be open-minded and listen, usually the truth will evolve. Um, but when you get into some of these other tactics, you can't, you can't find the truth. And right now it's not safe sometimes to have a different opinion or to open up a discussion, but that's how we've always evolved. That's how, you know, politics, you know, when it was functioning well, and some people might argue it's still functioning well, uh, would work. You'd have these two <laughs> sides that would, you know, talk to each other and then you would debate. And that's a very important thing that seems to be lost. And so when you begin to write this this book. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that process and, and some of these topics? Because, you know, even right away, you're talking about um, integrity and honesty, just starting there, you know, culture wide in how you lead your life is such an important thing. And I know this from the Bushido code and martial arts, they, they always stress integrity and honesty in your actions and your deeds. And so, you know, this is a very important idea that I feel is almost never brought up. Well, it's a, we take it for granted. Matt, we, we assume that uh, if I ask leaders, um, do your people trust you? Have you earned the trust of the most important stakeholders in your life? The almost inevitable, almost reflexive response I get is, well, of, of course they do. Why, why wouldn't they trust me? And what that tells me, of course, is that you're betting on your good intentions as the basis on which people should give you their trust. And my question back is always, maybe they should, but do they? And on, and on what basis should they trust you? And it's always, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't really hurt anybody. You know, I tell the truth. And that's such a, I mean, in a world where 
um, you can, to your point, you can be crucified for having a different opinion. Um, you, you, you just can't afford to just presume people's trust. And turns out that it takes a lot more to earn and keep people's trust than it used to. Um, I, I didn't, when I saw the evidence of what the data told us, I didn't want to write about the villain stories. I didn't want to write the Serrano story or the Wells Fargo story or talk about all the people who are failing to live up to the standards we learn. I wanted to write about the heroes. I wanted to go find the people who we'd be proud to emulate, the people who we'd love to have as our bosses or companies we'd love to work for. So the thrill of this book was I get to curate the stories of extraordinary human beings all over the world doing amazing things, embodying every finding that we found in the research and bringing to life what it means to live um, a life of truth, justice, and purpose. What we learned, uh, both from the, ne from the neuroscience we, we used to understand how the brain functions on honesty, and also in the social sciences, is that um, truth-telling is very correlated closely to fairness or justice and purpose, meaning today um, to be labeled honest, to be seen as honest, you have to say the right thing, do the right thing, and say and do the right thing for the right reason. Uh, you might do some of those things and be seen as a kind person or well-intended or somewhat reliable. But if you want to be labeled honest, it's not just, it's not just about truth-telling. Um, it's about your actions and how you treat others. Um, it's about how you level the playing field. It's about how you serve a greater good. And all that matters. And that's the yardstick being held up to us these days. And it's a much higher bar um, than it used to be because our experience of honesty is in a free fall, right? It's, it, you look around and you just, you, you're hard pressed to find places um, where you can go, I can trust them, I can trust him, I can trust her. And I was determined to, to just because it's so depressing, right? I didn't want to write about how bad it is. I wanted to write, I wanted to go uncover the, the, the stories of people that would inspire us. And so I traipsed the earth and, and just found teeming with human beings and organizations doing phenomenal things, genuinely living up to those standards. And it was such a privilege to tell their stories. I love that. And I love focusing on those um, leaders that are, are doing the right thing, like Marcus Aurelius Meditations. I really enjoyed that uh, work because he lived in times of war and dealt with all kinds of uh, different things. And it was much more intense than today. So if we could take a little uh, bit of that idea into our daily lives, um, I think yeah. that's important. Whether whether you're an entrepreneur in a leadership role or you're just a, you know, I think we're all a leader in a different way, right? In our communities, there's times to follow and there's times to lead. And again, a martial arts reference is like when you are a good teacher, you're learning from all the students all the time. You don't know everything. It's a constant journey and evolution into the truth and growth and personal development and exploration. And you you kind of trade off in these roles, right? And you learn from one another. Um, one of the one of the ideas in here is the. Uh, let me just try to find it. I'm going through these notes. I don't know what the best way to go through this, but the book, I love every chapter, right? Like talking about purpose and the bigger story, um, you know, rooting out injustice. You have so many uh, great chapters in here. Is there a more ideal way to kind of go through this book and some of these things you learned to get these character traits? Like how do we embody uh, this greatness and this leadership from, you know, the people that are doing it right. Oh, and the last thing I, I was trying to figure out what I was, I was thinking about, I, I'm always reminded of this meme or this little image where it says a boss is a person in the back and they're, you know, whipping everybody, but a leader is right at the front and they're, you know, everybody's behind them and they're kind of leading the way and, and leading by example. So I think that's a very powerful image. Yeah. 
So let me, let me start by sort of laying out the four things we found, four conditions that predict whether people will trust you or whether, pe or whether people will tell you the truth or whether that you'll be seen as honest. The first was um, be who you say you are. Live a consistent set of values that people can rely on. All of our organizations make promises to people in the form of missions and visions and values and purpose statements. Turns out those words matter. And if the experience people have in your, of your organization or in your organization is consistent with those words, your actions and words actually match, um, you're three times more likely to have people be honest. But if those actions and words don't match, if those are cosmetic words that people roll their eyes when they hear, um, you've now institutionalized duplicity. You've said to people, around here, it's okay to say one thing and do another. And when you do that, you now you're three times more likely to have people be dishonest with you because you've made it okay. Second, was, second factor was accountability. How fair is the playing field? How do you talk about the contributions of people that people make? Used to be that we would, you know, accountability was nothing more than a process of accounting. We just count people's work and give them a number. But today, our remit is personal. People's expectations include their analyses, their ideas, their creativity, their points of view. The contribution today is more fused with the contributor than ever. So when you talk about somebody's work, you are talking about them. You can't say it's not personal. And when the accountability systems are, are dignifying to people, when people start the, the playing for this level and they can succeed like anybody else, you're four times more likely to have people be honest. But if people think it's a ruse, if people think the system is jacked and it's stacked against me, if I feel undignified, if I feel demeaned when you talk about my work, um, you're four times more likely to have people be dishonest with you. Because I, the only way for me to be true to myself is to embellish my work and hide my mistakes. You never hear somebody walk into work one, you know, and, and say, I'm so excited, today's my performance review. You know, and the, the, the process of accountability that should be the most honoring and dignifying has become the most demeaning and demoralizing. It's, it's cruel. Third factor was decision-making, how you construct choices. If, if I walk into a room in an organization or in my community, sometimes referred to as a meeting, and the people in that room uh, are having a, a, a good-hearted, honest discussion, and I believe what they're saying. I believe that the data that's being presented is not spun. I believe dissenting views are welcome. I believe the person presenting doesn't have an agenda other than to get a good decision or problem solved. And I believe that if I were to offer a, a contradictory point of view, then what's prevailing in the room, I'd be welcomed. Now you're, that's transparency to its important degree. That's, now you're three and a half times more likely to have people be honest. But if I walk into that room and I think it's nothing more than orchestrated theater where the decision's already been made, the person in the front of the room is trying to lead us all there. Um, nobody believes the data that's being said clearly been scrubbed. And the last thing I think you want to hear is a point of view from me that's different than the one that you're trying to get us all to adopt. Now you're three and a half times more likely to have to be dishonest because the truth is not in the room. I have to go outside the room and go underground to get it. <laughs> and the last factor was um, rivalries, cross-functional differences, pe people who are different than you. We all have seen the border wars in organizations, sales, marketing, supply chain operations, Democrats, Republicans, you know, pick it. Everybody, every, every set of we has a they. And we're a tribal culture, we're tribal human beings. We naturally ascribe to our own group. But the reality is that the, the inability to work across tribes um, renders you six times, 
six times more likely to have people be dishonest because when you fragment a community or fragment an organization, now you fragment the truth. Now we have dueling truths, and we're seeing this play out in every newspaper held on every day. The goal of dueling truths is, is no longer to find a single source of truth. It's, it's to make sure that you know that you're, right, you're wrong and I'm right. And that's the conversation. And to your point earlier, Matt, and we shame people when they don't agree with us. We out and out publicly lynch them for that. But when those seams across a community are stitched well, when the definition of we is much broader, when people who are different than me, um, I can listen, I can hear, I don't have to agree, but I can understand and I can accept. Now you're six times more likely to have people be honest with you because it's safe to be honest because I'm not gonna be othered by somebody. So, and the interesting thing about the statistical models, Matt, is that they're cumulative. So if you're really good at all four of those things, you are 16 times more likely to be seen as honest and have people be honest with you. But if you suck at all four of those things, you are 16 times more likely to put yourself on the front page of a headline in a newspaper you never wanted to be in. That's amazing. And I love how you um, have the four conditions of trust because it's important for us to kind of um, be able to understand those. And then so if we're analyzing something, we can look at each of those sections and see which ones are relevant and which ones aren't. And so I don't want to go down into the the rabbit hole here. But, you know, if I look at many institutions now um, in, in Canada and around the world and I and I apply those four conditions, um, they're not they're not doing them for the most part. And so what do you think? Uh, you know, you've got one side that says, you know, all corporations are bad. Now I see sometimes when we want to just have uh, like big, big corporations, right? It's a big generalization. All corporations can't be bad, right? But let's just say you have one that just starts to um, just go for profit. And then they start to, you know, maybe do some things that are a little bit more shady, right? On, on a bigger scale, or maybe you're an employee in there and then you start to be dishonest. What have you found in your research that leads people in that direction? One big thing that I've kind of come to the conclusion about is that, you know, people, they need to go from the idea that, um, you know, um, it's all about me, like competition to collaboration, like to factor in all areas of life. And one of my favorite things is from, you know, the Native American teachings, where they talk about all my relations, like what I do to not only you, but like, what am I doing to this city, to this community, everything has to be factored in. And it feels like there's a certain group of people uh, that don't have that. It's just more selfish. How can I gain more materialism or power or success? And I'm not really going to think about these things. So have you just determined anything that will, uh, allow a person to just become more dishonest and go down that yeah. road. Cause I feel also it's a slow erosion too. They start with a small one, then all of a sudden it's just like, and I, and I saw this in some of the workplaces that I was in. Right. And I would converse like with that. these people who are my friends and like their view was very different than mine. Um, so interestingly enough, one of the things the neuroscience told us is that our brains are actually hardwired for honesty. Our bodies and our spirits and our minds are at their healthiest. Then the, the nations in the world that are the most healthiest are also the most honest. Our brains come factory installed, equipped to be honest. Um, but unlike our cell phones, our brains don't have restore factory settings buttons. And so when, when there's a, a line and we move it, we keep moving it, right? We have slippery slopes. Unfortunately, we don't have slippery ascents. Mm. And, and so you may tell yourself at your, at your moral center, what you'll tolerate. But if you see that line moving even a little bit, um, you have to be on guard because you, you will sell your soul. 
if the environment is conducive to that. Um, and the payoff is always bad. It's always, there's never a positive outcome to that. Um, no matter what you think it is, even if it's you know, revenge, extracting your pound of flesh because they hurt you, um, making somebody pay, um, they're doing it, so why shouldn't I? Um, it's, you know, um, Dan Ariely calls it the what the hell effect, meaning, well, I've already cheated this much, what the hell, I might as well do more. And the problem is you, you, those are very difficult places to come back from. You have to scrutinize that. You have to be, be clear on those value sets and those, and those boundaries well before you get tested. Because waiting to the moment you're tested, uh, honesty, one of the critical things we found, both in the neuroscience and in practice, is that honesty is not a character trait. Honesty is a muscle. It's a capability. If you, to be good at it, you have to work at it. You, you just can't go to the gym and bench press 500 pounds. You have to work at that. You can't go into life and bench press 500 pounds of honesty when tested for it if you haven't bench pressed 50. Right? You have to work at it every day if you want to be good at it. And it, it, it's no different than any other kind of capability or muscle you're trying to strengthen. So if you're not good at it and you get tested, it's likely that you'll fail. And, and we don't have to fail to your point. We don't have to fail in catastrophic ways, right? It doesn't have to be some embezzling millions of dollars. But, but every day you have to examine, am I being who I say I am? I, I ask leaders all the time, very simply, if I followed you around with a video camera all day long and videotaped a day in your life, could I use that videotape to train people in honesty? If I had people watch that videotape without the sound on, what would they conclude about you? Same with your team. If we videotape your day in life of your team and showed it later, could we train people on collaboration and care and respect and um, camaraderie? Or could we train people on competition and cutthroat mistreatment and, and disrespect? You, you get to choose every day. One of the hard exercises I have my clients do is I ask them to look back over the last 10 days of their life and pick out a random seven or eight moments where they know they were, I mean, they know they were less than honest. University of Massachusetts data says that we all lie on average twice a day. So pick it. It could have been that you embellished data to your boss. It could have been that you were feeling into, you, you, around your friends and you sort of, sort of leaned in a little bit to what happened in a meeting. It could be that you withheld hard feedback from a different report because you didn't want to hurt their feelings. Could have been that you were curt with a barista at Starbucks. Could have been that you ignored your kids. Whatever it was, you behaved lower than the values you say you espouse. If I asked you to pick out any, any eight moments of those in the last two weeks, what I guarantee you you would find is a pattern because our dishonest moments are not random. We choose those behaviors to meet some need. They're serving a purpose so we wouldn't do it. Our impatience, our curtness, our anger, our embellishing, our self-promotion, those behaviors make us feel safer. They make us feel better regarded. They engineer certain responses from other people. They're serving a purpose. Well, we wouldn't choose them. And if you can't be honest about what purpose they're serving, you can't become, you can't be honest about your dishonesty. You can't become more honest in the process. And that's the depth to which we have to go. That's the place where we all each have to do the self-scrutiny to understand that the choices we make have consequences on others. And if we don't want to, you know, if you tell yourself, well, that's not nearly as bad as it could be, or look what that guy did. I didn't do that. You know, and we start, if you telling yourself things to, to sort of um, justify certain choices you're making, that's a red flag. That's telling you you've already crossed 
the, the moral code line you said you wouldn't cross. Um, and now you're trying to make it feel better. Those, those never go well. You know, those ne whether it's your financial integrity, your relational integrity, your professional integrity, your sexual integrity, any of those lines um, will invite you down dark paths. And they do not, eventually, you keep thinking, that wasn't you. There was, there was no, you think there was no consequence because nobody saw. There's no such thing as a faceless crime. There's no such thing as a faceless moral lapse. Somebody, including you, uh, has been hurt. And there's no way that it's not gonna come out in a relationship somewhere else. And we, we have to be that, um, that vigilant uh, to guard our moral centers and our sense of integrity if we don't wanna lose them. Wow. Well, I love that example. And, you know, just videoing all day, right? Whether you're a leader, you can see like the social media world that we live in or, you know, authors and speakers. And that was one of the things I was a little bit disheartened when I, you know, I love personal development and spirituality. And the more I kind of went into it, a lot of people weren't able to uh, have the congruence of a way of life from what they were teaching. You know what I mean? And, and I think if you're honest about it, then that's okay. It's, it's that uh, forthrightness, you know, in martial arts, if you claim to be a black belt or an expert, well, when you're put to the test, it's going to be very clear what you are. You know what I mean? There's no kind of uh, imagination or, or word wordsmithing that's going to get you out of that. But in some of the other realms, you can, you can do that and you can manipulate a little bit more if you're, you're good at it. And so I think that being the example is, is very key. And there's also a lot of leadership um, and I don't know, good that can come from that. So being the example in the world. So you might have your job, right? Where you're a leader there or doing your best to, to give a great example, but daily life, getting your coffee, doing all these different things, a family, a role matter, uh, how you treat your kids in front of your neighbors, all of that matters. It's not like one section of your life is important to have uh, morals and integrity. It's, it's everywhere and everything. Like you being a father, right? Being an uncle, whatever the case is, the more you embody that people are witnessing it, right? They talk about mirror neurons and in um, neuroscience, right? People are just kind of co copycatting. And that's why in different environments, you get different sets of people because they're doing more of the same things. They have more of the same values or beliefs. If you go to a surf community versus a snowboard community, you know, versus, you know, the center of Manhattan or in a, in a tech district, it's going to be different ways of life and ways of thinking, not good or bad, just different. And so, you know, you, you shared a lot of important topics. I'd love for you to talk about um, turn they into we. And that's something that one of my Native American teachers, David Lombear, used to always talk about. He'd say, go from me to we. You know, he'd always be talking about we. So I'm curious what you found and whether it was the artificial intelligence that you used or the research. You know, what was the importance of that mindset shift? So um, one of the, my favorite stories in the book, I wanted to find, um, and many of the stories go way outside of organizations. I went to New Zealand to look at how Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister, ran how she navigated the pandemic. I went to the symphony orchestra in Baltimore. <clears throat> All kind, I went to um, restorative justice in the Congo to look at tribes there and how they, you know, how they restored relationship. I wanted to see where, where an example of people, two unlikely collaborators who under normal conditions would have hated or killed each other, um, came together across all kinds of divides. Um, and I went to Compton in, in California. And I found two guys who came out of rival gangs, one from the Crips, one from the Bloods. And if you know anything about gang rivalry, you know that those are notoriously violent groups that hate each other. 
um, and there was a, in, the, in the 90s at the height of the gangs, you could have been killed just for wearing the wrong color of the other of the other of the other gang. I found two guys who had become unlikely friends. Um, they, they grew up in, in the roughest part of, of that world um, around drugs, prostitution, um, crim, you know, cr criminal activity, in and out of jail through our teenage years, um, violence. And one of them, uh, after one of his stints in jail, decided randomly to go to culinary school. But maybe this, I um, both tired of that life and tired of only the only way out being to be a rapper or a basketball star, wanted more. He went to culinary school and he uh, graduated, came back, turned out he had, had actually quite a gift for cooking. His, his other friend who from the opposite rival gang, they had, had sort of struck up a friendship and because they didn't know how to make money because they didn't know how to sell drugs. He had a phenomenal Instagram following. So he would take pictures of the food. Their names were News and Spank, with their gang names, and they would take pi pictures of, a, of the food that Spank made. And it, it would go viral because he had quite a Instagram following, and pretty soon people would start lining up at the house, coming to buy the food. Uh, and they wanted to make really high quality, nutritious food for their community uh, and make it affordable. Well, at one, at one point, they, had, they were using their grandmother's kitchen and their mother's kitchen just to cook anywhere they could. And the lines were around the block. And at one point, the cops came and thought it was, they were selling drugs. It was a drug house. And I said, no, it's just food. And uh, they actually, the neighborhood named them Trap Kitchen. Okay. You know, as if it was a trap house. They named it Trap Kitchen. And they, re, they renamed the acronym TRAP for Take Risks and Prosper. Today, the two of them are great dads. They're still great friends. They have like 12 food trucks. They have a brick and mortar restaurant. Um, and they, when I, I spent the day with them in, in LA uh, at their food trucks, talking to them and learning about their story. And what's so beautiful is that they say, we chose each other. We chose this relationship. This is for good forever. Um, we didn't have to be friends, um, but this is, this, you know, and, and you hear the fierce love they have for each other and, and they couldn't be more different as human beings, but they have, and, 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 and when they talk about what they want to give back to the neighbor, they want to make bosses out of the food truck owners. They want to, they want to empower their community. They want to raise people up. And I thought, gosh, if the two of them can rise above that world and collaborate and come together across every statistical prediction, I mean, they, 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 by all statistical predictions, they either should have been dead or in jail. And they're thriving and living incredible lives and giving back to the community and their families and their kids. Um, and, you know, I ask, I ask people in organizations all the time, I work, who's your they? Who's, when they see, who's the name you see in your caller ID and go, what do they want? Or who they come? And then I ask a harder question, who's they are you? <laughs> who's, who's pain in the ass are you? Who's the irritant that, you know, people see you coming and run the other way? Because there's somebody there. And when you start to dissect what those days are, they're all concoctions. They're all biased, informed concoctions of what you think that person is, but you really know nothing about them. And, and if each of us could just pick one day and figure out how to make them part of our week, how to go across that divide and simply say, I clearly haven't misjudged you. Um, and I suspect you've misjudged me too. 
what is it I don't what is it I don't know about you that you need me to know and just have a conversation reach out one of the greatest stories I tell in the book is a, is a dear friend of mine his name is Riaz Patel he's a uh, an Emmy an Emmy nominee TV producer um, he's a Pakistani immigrant he's Muslim and he's gay he is other in every part of his life and during the 2016 election he realized that the only information he was getting on his radio, on his social media, or on TV was information that he already knew and was information that he agreed with. He wasn't hearing any different point of view. And he thought, this is dumb. We can't have entire towns and cities and states full of stupid people. So he and his husband, and, their, and at the time their one child, flew to Ketchikan, Alaska, to a world as different as they were, and went to a diner for breakfast. And, and he would openly say to people, I have, a, I have a suspicion you think I'm a terrorist. Am I wrong? And, and they had never seen a Muslim, gay, Pakistani immigrant before. And he had never seen fishermen who were, you know, living in Alaska and living the way they lived and politically as oriented as they were. And he came home thinking, gosh, I get it now. If I were them, I'd vote the way they were voting too. But um, he, he took his time to put himself in a place of othering. And now he has an incredible TV show that he runs called Four Chairs, where he brings together, he brought together um, a black cop, a, uh, an NRA person, a person, a victim of gun violence, and a, and a mothers against gun violence. And in, in one conversation, talk about gun violence. He brings together people from, you know, from warring sides of points of view and helps them find the common ground. They don't have to, the goal isn't to agree. The goal is to compassionately understand. And I think if we all could approach people we've labeled and dismissed as different and therefore lesser than and therefore unworthy of our attention or unworthy of our respect and simply say, would you want to be discarded that way? Would you want to be othered that way? Most of us, especially if we're white, uh, especially if we're white men, um, don't often have the experience of being othered, right? We're not, we're often not, we're rarely the minority uh, voice in the room. But what would it be like for us to go experience people different than us, just for the sake of broadening our minds, just for the sake of seeing the world differently and being more open-hearted to people who don't think like we do and not feeling like we're compromising our souls or giving up our morals or lowering our standards. None of that at all. That's just an excuse not to do it. But our echo chambers today are sick and they're, we're very walled in. And your social media feed is curating for you everything you want to hear and think and nothing more. And if you don't put yourself in places where you get points of view different than yours, you're only going to be at war with people and you're going to label and concoct and other a lot of people who might do your life some good. Well, wow. well, there's a lot of different um, <clears throat> talking points in there. I think the, the my favorite one was the uh, first one where you talked about the two gang members coming together. I think the root of that is, is compassion. Um, there's a lot of it's challenging because, you know, I've worked with uh, Native American elders and talked about mm -hmm. genocide and the school systems. And one of the most beautiful things about them was that they, the ones I talked to, at least there, there is still a lot of anger and, uh, and distrust and all these different things. But uh, the ones that I spoke to said, you know, we need to get past that and move towards forgiveness. Um, but if we look at our history, it's a, it's a pretty terrible one. Um, understanding other cultures and compassion and, and different ways of being is always very important, but there are, I guess, world challenges where oppression or um, 
um, what do you even say? Like mental influence, you know, uh, I, I, I'll just call them war tactics. There are war tactics that aren't for, you know, the benefit of everybody. So sometimes I do think that defense is necessary, but it kind of, you know, I don't want to steer it down that rabbit hole right now. Cause I have been looking at that a little bit. Um, but one of the things I think is important is, um, connecting to a bigger story. So when we look at like some of the issues that we're having in Canada or the United States, yeah, they're issues, but it doesn't need to be, um, uh, there doesn't need to be a lack of compassion, but there can be a strong point of view, I think, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, but when you talk about in your book, like how do we connect that purpose, whether it's in our workplace or if we're going into entrepreneurship in purpose to a big picture, I think that those are two very important ideas because rather than fighting something, right? You can create the thing that you uh, want to support. You want to create the solution. So there's a lot of things in this world that I don't agree with. Um, and there's a lot of issues that I see coming in from policies and all these different other things that I definitely don't agree with. But what I can do is I can create a solution in my neighborhood, in my town or through my work. And that's a lot more empowering. It's a lot less dark. And then if there's an opposing point of view, that's totally fine. Um, I can converse with them. But one of the big things that I learned in looking at everything right now is that uh, this quote my friend gave me, he says, anything that seeks to restrict or bind by definition is Luciferianism. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. you want to take the free will of another person. Now, the only pushback of the many things I considered saying is that on the social media feed, myself and many other people is being curated to a certain narrative. And so now the discussions that I've even had with close family, friends and all this other stuff, there's no com conversing sometimes between a father and a son, a father and a daughter, um, all these different things because this crazy divide. Um, but I've only noticed that there's only one set of people that won't have the conversation because I've always been willing to have it. Um, and so I think that that's important is compassion and listening, because especially with social media and all these other things, there's only one side. So I would have never found out about germ theory versus terrain theory, although I don't agree with everything everyone says. I think there needs to be an important point of view. And now we have the gun topic, which is a big one. Um, you know, you say, okay, guns, you know, when I was a Canadian kid, I was like, oh, American rednecks with your guns, <laughs> you know. Uh, but then when I lurked more into genocides, how genocides happen, how mass, you know, Cambodia, Indonesia, all these other ones, I was like, oh, this is a very fascinating correlation to what's going on. And being in Canada and experiencing, you know, quite a dictatorship, only it's only Canada, North Korea, and China where you can't travel without a Vax Pass. So now that's where we're on par. We were supposed to be this beacon of a free country, free speech, and my work personally got all slaughtered. So that's not free speech. So that's number one. Um, so, you know, what were the sequences of events to create countries that had communism or genocide? You can look at the similarities as happening in some countries today. So they're big topics that have no one solution. And I think that anybody on any side of their belief, if they could push the button, even if you totally disagree with them, I do believe 99% of people, if they could push the button to stop the harm, you know, just, just yep. create peace. It, it by, but they may not understand that. And I don't think that anybody has the intellectual, logical, or emotional capacity to solve anything. I think we need to give that to God, the creator, or whatever you think, because the world's problems are too big. But we can do what we can in our own world, as you said earlier, to be the example that we want to put out and that's a powerful thing but i feel like if we could push the button we would we just might have different ideas of what that would be nobody wants violence nobody wants uh, people to be harmed nobody wants people to be oppressed um, but when you get into the world of this intellectual and then the screens um, it becomes very convoluted and hard to get down to the real world because yeah. you know in the real world i'm i don't see that as much as i see it online 
right? I very rarely see all the stuff that's happening online in the actual real world. And if I'm presented with that type of situation, I can address it with uh, compassion. So I'd just love for you to share a little bit about the idea of, you know, finding our purpose and connecting it to a bigger story, because that's where our work is. If we spend all day focusing on the darkness or the things we don't want, we're not going to be building the solution. You know, Matt, I think that I'll go back to the, the Native American um, roots that you mentioned before. One thing I love about their culture is they, they, they start from the assumption that we're all connected, that we're all, we're all connected as part of a bigger story. Whether you're part of their tribe or not, they see the universe as an interconnected as a place, and it's created that way. And I think most of us fail to realize that our worlds are so small. Uh, apart from being part of a bigger story. And yet I think we're, I think we are created to be meaning, meaning making machines. I think we all have a hunger in our soul to feel part of a bigger story. Um, yes, we all want our independence. We all want our autonomy. We all want to stick out and know that we're unique. But we also have a deep hunger for connection, for community, for a broader meaning in the world. To know, I think human beings wake up every single day looking to answer two fundamental questions. Do I matter? And do I belong? And it's our job to make sure that those we work with and love and live um, never doubt that the answer to those questions are yes in our presence. Because the problem with, with if, I'm, if I'm uncertain about the, quest, the answer to the question of do I matter, I give into a much darker counterfeit need looking like I matter. And I go about serving the need to make sure you, it looks to you like I matter. And if I don't feel like I belong, I'll force my way in. But I think if we understood that we needed to create a world where everybody, no matter who they are, what they look like, how they show up, belongs. You know, they, they feel a sense of connection, a sense of acceptance, a sense of love, and they matter. Their contribution, their voice, their work, their fingerprint is important. If we could, we could just create worlds where nobody had to doubt those questions, how different the rest of the story would go. But when you wake up in the morning, and, and, you, and you feel rudderless, you feel purposelessness. Think about the places where you felt most proud. Think about the moments where you knew you made a difference for somebody else. Think about the places where you felt like, wow, it, it mattered that I was there. Somebody noticed that my work made a difference for somebody else. Because those are the places you wanna lean into. They're telling you what makes your heart beat faster. They're telling you who you're meant to be. They're telling you the way your story's meant to go. Too often, we ignore those signals. We get on a conveyor belt and just sort of mark time to, and then wake up when we're 45, depressed and anxious and feeling useless. There's a reason that, you know, one of the highest suicide rates in the world are men in their 40s and 50s. They've been on a career conveyor belt for too long and woke up and thought, is this all there was? Because they never got in touch with a deeper sense of meaning for themselves. They never felt like um, they belonged. They never felt like they work to belong to somebody else. So I think we've got to wake up every day making sure we are in places, we are with people, we are doing work that, that deeply satiates our need to matter and our need to belong. I need to know that our work has purpose. We need, and, and I call that a sense of solidarity, that you know, meaning and belonging uh, is solidarity. And I think we have, to create, we have to create environments around us where nobody in our world, nobody in our sphere ever doubts that they're important, they're honored, and that they're welcomed. Mm -hmm.
Absolutely. I love that. Well, and it reminds me of uh, Greg Braden talks about these free, uh, three universal fears, a uh, fear of not being good enough, low, you know, low self-worth, a uh, fear of trusting or surrendering need for control and fear of uh, abandonment. And then there's also a book by Robin Sharma uh, called the monk who sold his Ferrari. And he said, the number one motivator of people is appreciation. It's not money. It's nothing. Uh, it's appreciation. So to be loved and to be valued. And if you look at uh, crime, if you look at um, violent crimes and, and anything along those those lines, it comes from a root of one of these issues of some sort of, you know, abuse or, or challenge. It's, it's not somebody, you know, normally coming from a good home and uh, has love and has appreciation, has kindness and has worth that goes out and commits a crime. Often, and most of the time, it's people who have, you know, suffered from alienation or crime or, or something in some capacity that makes them harmed or hurt and then expresses out again. And so the more that we can be that example of, caring, compassion, appreciation for everyone we meet, um, the better off the world's going to be. And there are a lot of challenging situations out there where you might need a lot of compassion. Um, but I think that that's definitely a good place to start is, is trying to, especially within your own family and your own community, let them know that they're loved and that they're worth it. Because even if you look at suicides and the rate of suicide and what goes on there, you know, sometimes it's that one person that they connect to that, that they can feel heard and listen to that can help a person from doing something very, very traumatic. And there's a lot of unfortunate suicides going on with the youth today and, and other people as well. But, you know, being that one person that, you know what, you're the one person that treated me with respect that I could listen to. And, um, you know, you can maybe turn that person around. So I know you got to go, you're, you're in an airport, but I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or that you want to leave the listeners with before we close this and you hop on a plane? You know, um, if you're on a quest in your life, um, to be more true to yourself, whatever that means for you, you have to step up being more true about yourself. Um, and if you're uncalibrated that way, if you don't know how others are experiencing you, if you're making a lot of assumptions about how, how others are gauging your trustworthiness, don't leave it to chance. Go find out. Make sure that people are indeed looking at your actions and your words and the, the values you embody, the way you make choices, and the way you treat others around you and concluding that you're somebody worthy of their trust. Do everything you need to do to make sure that you there's no, um, no say-do gap there. Make sure your say-do ratio is one-to-one. -one. Um, and watch how the quality of your life will just soar. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. Um, where can people find the book? Or if they want to le learn more about you, where can they go? Yeah, so um, if we actually um, did a TV series uh, with the book, when we so when I when I was interviewing all these awesome people, I knew that I wouldn't be able to use all the interviews. So we made a TV series called Moments of Truth, and they're they're like a, it's like a news magazine show where it features all the interviews with a bunch of other folks uh, alongside me interviewing great people. And you can find that series called Moments of Truth at the website tobehonest.net. Um, you can also download a free assessment there called How Honest Is My Team. And you can assess just how much of the real truth you're getting from your team. You can find all about the book there. There's a webinar there, and you can order the book as well. If you want to learn more about my firm, you can come to Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. Um, and we have free eBooks and videos and webinars and all kinds of really cool content there if you're looking to improve your life or improve your influence in the world. Awesome. And well, please, thank please follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Have a, a wonderful flight and uh, we'll see you next time. Matt, thanks so much. Appreciate you. My pleasure. See you guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. 
there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Ron Carucci. I hope that you enjoyed that show. And if you did, please share it far and wide. Consider leaving a review. Uh, but just thank you for your time and attention. i just sending you all of my love, well wishes, good vibes. Uh, prayers to you, your family, your friends, everyone you love. Um, go to mattbylayer.com. Sign up for the email list to stay in touch because censorship is the real deal. Check out the Telegram. If you want to work with me, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. We'd love to hear from you, work with you, support you however I can, whether it's one-on-one through some of the programs that already exist or coaching. Um, I've worked with a lot of people, probably thousands, well, geez, yeah, wow, tens of thousands maybe now since I've been a kid coaching in a variety of ways. Uh, but if I can help you in any way, it would be my pleasure. So thank you guys so much while you're listening to this. I'm probably still in Italy and I hope to be coming back soon and crushing lots of amazing episodes for you to just do a little part in making this world a better place. So I appreciate you, your time, your attention, and just sending you all of my uh, best wishes and prayers. So thank you so much for listening. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, compassion, courage, strength, faith, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.